Welcome to Planetary. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is going to be an amazing journey today. Hope you're ready for liftoff. We are live now. Well, it is an amazing day, evening, night, depending on where you're watching. Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. We got some amazing guests today. We have Bill uh, Rimac, and then as well as Bernie Siegel. Um, who would of you two would like to just share a little bit first of yourself? Uh, let let's let's have Bill at the top. Uh, would you like to just give us a real quick intro, and then next you, Bernie, before we get going? Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, my name is Bill Remack, and I'm a patient advocate, and that's where that's the universe I come from. Uh, and it, it began from me starting as a scientist and then uh, finding when I had a chronic condition, I had to shift gears and become an advocate. Uh, not just for myself, but then find that I had to help others as well on, along the way. I wasn't the only one <laughs> facing different challenges. So uh, that's where I've come from. And uh, I run some nonprofit organizations and am a major uh, patient advocate for uh, both healthspan, uh, regenerative medicine, and uh, innovations in science, chronic diseases, and infectious diseases. So that's that's where what 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 drives me. Okay, thank you. Great. Next, uh, if you can, Bernie, just share a little bit about yourself. Sure. So. Uh... Uh, I am an attorney. Don't hold it against me. I, for the last 20 years, I have been the full-time uh, executive director of the Genetics Policy Institute, now known um, as the Regenerative Medicine Foundation. I, too, am a stem cell advocate um, patient and was recruited largely by the leaders of the stem cell community, stem cell scientists such as um, Dolly the Sheep's father, uh, Ian Wilmot, and Rudolf Janish, and others. Uh, to lead the cause for the battle, uh, the stem cell wars for embryonic stem cell research. Um, I was involved in a court case early on that had significance in the field. Uh, we created a nonprofit organization and have been involved in every policy fight that has gone on to keep stem cell research alive for freedom of scientific research. But also we've adopted the entire field of regenerative medicine and all the enabling technologies and moving the regulatory needle uh, forward. I work in Washington. I have some reputation as a regulatory person, but not for private clients. This is just for patient advocacy and the science itself. We've expanded our uh, view of the field to even encompass health span and longevity initiatives of which regenerative medicine is one of the major pillars. And uh, along the way, uh, I created a, a number of meetings called the World Stem Cell Summit to unify pa the patient community and government leaders with scientists and industry. And over the course of 20 years, we've done 20 World Stem Cell Summits in different places, including as far away as Shanghai. And the key was by inviting 100 to 150 uh, speakers uh, personally, either by email or telephone calls. Over the years, you get to know 
the assistants' phone numbers and, and names, uh, you've been able to build, a, a, one can build a network. But the core of all of this is patient advocacy. And Bill is a premier patient advocate for his work. And I've done a lot of that work in our field. And now we're moving our sites towards the Dublin Longevity uh, Declaration and Health Span. Well, man, Bernie, Bill, we're going to do B squared today. Take it to the higher power. And we are going over today. The focus is, and it's just released off the press, not even more than seven days old or something. Bernie, I talked to Bill the other day. He was so excited for the topic. And this is, if you're not watching, you're listening. So it's the Dublin Longevity Declaration. We can control age-related mortality. Morbidity, morbidity and mortality. Wow, that's a mouthful, and that's could be kind of frightening for many. A little frightening for me, um, but I don't like arthritis and some of these things. Um, I'm getting old too. None of us are getting younger. So uh, let's start. Uh, this is a big topic. I'm excited. So um, which one of you two wants to start uh, moving on on planetary health Mars next on this one? I'll take the I'll take the Go lead ahead. If, you, if, you, if you don't mind. So uh, this is uh, a consensus recommendation and declaration. Um, it was uh, founded by three people. One was Martin O'Day, a longevity uh, enthusiast, and uh, in Dublin, who has the Dublin Longevity Conference. Uh, now it's had just completed its second uh, global meeting. Uh, Aubrey de Grey of the Longevity Escape Velocity Foundation, and Brian Kennedy, who leads the research aging at the National University of Singapore. Uh, all brilliant people. And what they uh, formulated uh, was a declaration, a declaration to, as a call to arms for a moonshot for longevity biomedical research and all the technologies not only for health span, healthy lifespan, but also recognizing that it will extend the health, the lifespan as well. All of which are meritorious and uh, will affect all populations. So how do we do that? The declaration uh, calls for this to be a major priority of science. Uh, as for myself, uh, having Recently, so last October, we formally started the HealthSpan Action Coalition, which now has about 72 nonprofit organizations involved with it. We started this when the World Health Organization, uh, with its ICD uh, code, gave a code um, for aging as a medical condition in 2020. WHO recognized aging as a treatable medical condition. To myself, as a stem cell advocate, this was the uh, the warning, not the warning shot, the starting gun. The starting gun uh, is if medical conditions are treatable, that means we can treat aging. And the understanding, and it's, it's expressed so well in this declaration, which is received uh, uh, endorsements from scientists such as George Church and others really notable in the scientific field. Um, we can actually focus on the health span using the tools of regenerative medicine 
and all of the other emerging technologies. So that's the beginning. So Bill, do you want to take uh, sure. take anything off from that? Yes, and, and to really move this needle, uh, creating the dialogue around this in, in many different multifaceted uh, ways, uh, policy, um, access, health equity, uh, innovation, um, universal care, all these things that will be necessary as a, a combined platform to, uh, to bring this forward um, and the policy mindset as a construct for building that development and, and asking these questions and looking further down the road in terms of what can be done to to harness uh, technology, science, and uh, conglomeration of uh, scientific thought to to find the solutions and um, uh, provide the governance and move this together. And that's kind of the position I have is to try to bring coalitions together and try to get the the move actually the different uh, populations and uh, areas of interest to look at this as a concrete method of of really progressing in terms of wellness and health um, in in uh, in addressing health span and longevity. I, I have so, a qu I'm curious Dublin. It, you know, and not the United States. I don't want to get political. Right. But I imagine right now in our political conversation, this is maybe not the most, this is a polarizing issue in the United States, I could imagine from some of the times I've heard stem cell. And maybe is Dublin just a more favorable with with uh, innovation, research? How are we keeping this not, and just more scientific and not, uh, anyway, I'll just, I'm putting a mouth out there full in my yeah. mouth. I'll stop. <laughs> well, I can, I can go ahead. It. I think Bernie answered well, a good I, one. Yeah. I had the occasion to uh, speak and involved with the inaugural uh, Dublin meeting. And uh, our associate uh, uh, chief operating officer of um, the Health Span Action Coalition is Melissa King, well known in California circles as the first executive director of the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine and head of field of operations of the $5 billion initiative. Uh, she spoke at the, at the last event that, that just occurred in September. So the reason for Dublin just happens to be that is a conference that it, it served as in partnership with the Longevity Escape Velocity Foundation, which is a new, fairly new foundation. And uh, as that was the locale that brought in leading thought leaders and scientists from around the world that's where the, the the plan was hatched for the declaration. And to the extent I had a small part of it, I remembered the famous Asilomar conference, you might recall, where at the dawn of the biotechnology industry, the great scientists that had invented uh, the field of recombinant uh, DNA, such as uh, Paul Berg and others were there, David Baltimore. and. They, uh, it, the, the conference itself was named after the city. So it's a good benchmark that this really 
good, great gathering of scientists and scientists and uh, researchers focused on aging were together and formulated this declaration. So it happened to take the name of the, the city where it was formulated. So with this declaration, is there any components or aspects that we should unpack that are really meaningful, that are application-based? <laughs> a good way to help our audience better understand um, uh, more about this opportunity. So it's interesting that the declaration itself talks about emerging strategies and questions, combinational approaches, novel classes of small molecules, pharmaceuticals, cellular reprogramming, a key part of regenerative medicine, approaches based on species longevity, cell and gene therapy, novel targets, emerging strategies to reverse age-related deterioration of the epigenome, personalizing aging interventions, and the things over the horizon. Basically, how do we reinvigorate the concept of achieving control over these things? And it's this time of converging technologies, like it's a, the, the moment where this comes alive. And for me, as a stem cell advocate for many years, and seeing how stem cells almost a geopolitical force now in regenerative medicine all over the world and a multi-billion dollar industry is coming out this and how it's moving the glacial regulatory system now there's so much funding focused on longevity but how is that going to get to uh uh michael to the rest of the world mm -hmm. there has to be a focus on what we call distributive justice health equity to all populations. That's why this is an international movement. One of the reasons Bill is so involved is his own uh, pathfinding in the organization Giant to get vaccines during the crisis to everyone in the world. So proven advocates understand that building coalitions can move the needle. And we are looking to create a, not only a movement to support science, but a societal movement to advance these goals, a healthy lifespan. I like what you said, distributive justice. I, I think that is fascinating because in the end, what did what did Aristotle say? You're only as good as your least, I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm gonna butcher that. But anyway, you gotta take care of your citizenry. And, and so that distributive justice is really, if you have a healthy population, um, you can really do a lot of good things. Right. And, and, and actually, when you, when you look at that from an equity lens, uh, when we're thinking about all those different aspects to healthy aging, we cut across all economic, political, um, demographic, uh, and population and issues uh, because it is a global it is a global effort and uh, one thing that's that really stands out is we're all human beings we're all part of society and this will all impact us sooner or later so uh, I think the saying goes we're not getting out of here alive so <laughs> we've got to look at this very carefully but some of the folks really want to get it to make sure they <laughs> stay around for a long time. Which right. to that point, you know, the uh, 
one of the obstacles to the field advancing is the perception that this might just be for millionaires and billionaires, which is not the case, as aging is the common denominator for so many chronic diseases and an accelerator for chronic diseases. If we can solve some of these problems with the age, with aging itself, a longer life will, will take place. And there are also economic benefits, perhaps trillions and trillions of economic benefits if we can uh, lose all those huge costs at end of life and be able to have a healthy lifespan, a health span. No, I like that because uh, Walmart isn't doing bad selling to 95% of America, right? I mean, I think, you, 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 uh, yeah, you could have a, a, a business for billionaires, but you're going to have just a little, you know, so open it up to everyone. Why not, right? This is the other thing, Michael. When you think about uh, uh, the, the regulatory system, uh, reputation and power of the FDA, and things like uh, stem cells and cell therapies are new. They have a different regulatory process, a different manufacturing process, and it's being uh, shoved into uh, the same uh, uh, regulatory process as biologics. And of course, we, it has to be safe and effective. But with all of these technologies, if we cure a mouse of diabetes and it takes 20 years and billions of dollars for uh, to translate that to humans, uh, that clearly is unworkable. So what is the type of innovation we need in regulation and law? So that's another uh, goal of the HealthSpan Action Coalition in tandem with the LEVF, the Longevity Escape Velocity Foundation, and those that signed the Dublin Longevity Declaration. The other thing that I would like you to think about, like the audience to think about, what we've done in the coalition is bring on a lot of patient advocacy organizations. It were patient, they were patient advocates, such as Bill, and who was extremely networked into the uh, hepatitis C and, uh, and uh, liver disease communities. These all want support for their diseases. They want the National Institutes of Health to fund them. It makes perfect sense. But when you get something all-encompassing, such as health span, such as regenerative medicine, such as stem cells, the, the, the rising tide lifts all of the boats. And to, it, uh, to empower patient advocates and empower organizations that are cheering on and supporting new technologies, and maybe not disease specific, AI is one example. All of these working together as a coalition can solve big problems. But that isn't from some high voice going down or, or using them as marionettes. You have to build it up from the bottom. This has been the success of the advocacy world that I've seen succeed in stem cells and regenerative medicine and been a part of. And Bill is a longtime colleague um, as well for the work that he's done, as a, not only as a stem cell advocate, but for the disease communities and then most recently years, amazingly in putting together a global coalition for distribution of vaccines during the, during the crisis. It was amazing. 
it, it seems like this is universal to the applications and, and the connections. I'm thinking of cancer treatment, neurological conditions. I'm thinking of the amount of venture capital that would fuel just everything and anything that would want to be involved in the applications. I, I'm very excited by this. And, and um, next time when you need someone to go to Dublin to carry your bags, you got someone here. <laughs> um, fantastic. <laughs> Well, um, what what do you what are the biggest barriers to this right now that you see? Bill, take a yeah. Take a let me let me let me uh, give some insight there. I think right now the biggest barriers is something I focus on a lot in in my other work, and that is uh, this this um, inability or. Uh, uh, lifestyles concern that is actually health illiteracy. And uh, from the point of view of what people understand or can get some context or perspective on and the world they live in, we have to make this discussion something that they can relate to that is understandable and is something they can identify in some basic ways. Um, that is not an easy lift when we're looking at the, all the various geopolitical concerns going on in the world, um, the environmental concerns going on, the public health concerns, um, emergency issues, World conflict uh, and um, simply the the attention people are having to put on their own survival and their present needs. How does this all relate to that? And in that context, um, we have to approach this in in very different ways with very different people and in very different demographics, depending on their level of understanding and uh, the challenges they meet in day-to-day -day survival. So one of the ways we are addressing this is to uh, communicate with those in the scientific community, those in community leadership uh, and those that have outreach and an understanding on health and wellness issues and and proceed to um, build that conversation forward uh, by using those already out there that can understand some of the basic premises of these concepts. And we're making very good progress. Uh, but we're at a very early stage. Sure. And if I, if you don't mind, if I could add a little bit to that. Sure. Go uh, ahead. With an example. Uh, yeah. Back in the day, in the first meeting of the International Society for Stem Cell Research in, in uh, Washington, D.C., the field of embryonic stem cell research was under siege. It was being hijacked into the abortion debate in the United mm -hmm. States. I was invited to that meeting. And as uh, a cancer survivor at age 48, I had colon cancer and I just turned 74 and I seem to be fine now. 
but I related to the patient side of it. And when the scientists were talking about freedom of scientific research, and I looked around the meeting, I didn't see any patients there. I didn't see, even though this was a public policy debate, where were the, where were the key stakeholders? And how were the scientists, when they would be thrust on television on a debate, how could they match up with skilled, uh, savvy political foes of this? And it turned into a cultural issue. I remember uh, remembering Future Shock with Alvin, uh, written by uh, Toffler when I was in college in a bygone era. And he talked about the least intelligent of us um, are going to be the ones that are not going to be able to handle the future and the technologies that are there. And so it was that ignorance of it, that cultural uh, uh, disconnect from this, the, the fear of these technologies is reinforced over and over again in science fiction and, and literature. Uh, that's a real fear and real concern. And uh, lofty uh, bioethicists and, and pundits said that we were going to lose our humanity if some of these technologies move forward. But yet we're in a field now that, in, you know, humans evolved with a little groups of 150, and now we can talk to anyone in the world uh, and see them uh, every day, right? The world has changed so rapidly. And there are going to be a lot of forces against it, a lot of industries, the stakeholders that look at these new technologies as a challenge. It's, it's all going to be there. So we don't want the laboratories to be set on fire by people with pitchforks. So how do you do this? Well, you have to get the people, the population behind it. And it isn't a, as I, it's not top down. We have to do it from the standpoint of what our patients need, what our patients want, and make sure that it's just not during a, 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 a laboratory animal. You know, we have to move this into, and this is a revolution, a scientific revolution that's happening at the first rank, I would submit. I, I like how you got, you got, you two are really um, walking us through the process that's so important that needs to happen. And uh, change is not easy. Um, and all the more important that we have champions like yourself. And I'm sure you're on more committees than your uh, than Bill has uh, on after his last name, all those acronyms uh, that are really <laughs> leading the charge. And uh, one thing I, I, I notice as a patient uh, in health, the health system is not designed to fix anyone. And um, it's it's really, uh, there's a disconnect. So I think uh, with what you're doing, um, that's the complicated, that that's one of the areas that's so complicated in healthcare is that we have a sick care model in the US at least. And um, nowhere would you ever be able to pay a, a mechanic ongoing just to look things up. And, uh, but, and, and healthcare, that's that's fine. They have all these codes, whether they do it or not, and you know. So I, I don't know. I, um, I I'm just thinking out loud. Probably not making any sense. But 
uh, help me. Uh, you guys take the lead. You're talking, but I just feel sort of as a patient, just going to the doctor. Um, you have specialists that are just running their th sort of thing. And uh, um, that's where our healthcare uh, needs uh, more precision medicine with results and, mm -hmm. and really kind of driving, um, you, you know, some of these things are 30 years behind with evidence-based procedures. So uh, anyway, that's where I'm landing the plane. So you guys take it from here. I, I think where you're, you're headed there, Michael, is that uh, in, in this revolutionary approach to uh, wellness, um, we have to put patients at the center. And the patients have to be part of creating this dialogue and, and pushing this agenda because it is people-driven. It is people-driven. Health is about people. And so uh, when one starts with the discussion amongst patients and patients' groups, to communicate back and forth with scientists and and policymakers and tell them what they need and want it drives and and brings this momentum in research and and creating the type of organization and collaborations that build um, a movements and that's what we have here so if I can uh, supplement that, in our journey, and in the journey of creating World Stem Cell Summits that move in a different place every year in a region of the country, um, uh, we get, encounter health systems themselves that are absolutely critical. Many of them are, are regional, and they are focused almost all of them in some way, shape or form on the regenerative medicine revolution, encountering, you know, think about a health system uh, that might have thousands and thousands of patient, patients in their system. All of those patients arguably are potential candidates one day for a clinical trial. And uh, so each of these are competitive entities. At the same time, they have so much control over delivery to the patients. And um, I think the listeners and, and viewers might think about the constituents to the things that we're talking about, these new technologies, health span and longevity uh, medicine. And it's already there, the anti-aging movement, uh, the supplement industry, which is uh, uh, largely unregulated in the United States, uh, but it has tremendous power. There is already a major part of society that's watching its diet, it's taking its drugs that might make them lose weight. We're bombarded with all of this and nutrition issues and, uh, and, and solutions. So how do we harness this into the hard science that's needed with the techno technologies at hand? And certainly the healthcare system itself is woeful. Wouldn't it be nice if we had in our bag of, uh, of remedies a few cells that we could inject and and uh, solve uh, uh, cardiac disease, you know, heart disease. Well, that's going to be the future. When it is, I'm not sure. But you know, if if that's the future, maybe we should get there sooner rather than later, right? Especially if you have as much white hair as I do. 
<laughs> hey, you got hair. to me, I should have not mentioned. Well, that was that was a great uh, thought to to imagine cells to help with cardio. Here, here, a uh, uh, patient, take just two of these cells and call me in about six months and let me no know how joke. your heart's we doing. Have, we have those companies out there and those scientists working on that. There's hope for you. Mm -hmm. And eat an, and start eating an apple again, you know? Yeah. I, I do want to add one thing, Michael, and that is that uh, wellness and health is more than just simply medical science. It's also our environment, the air we breathe, the water we drink. So our activity, our mental and emotional health. So there's many different approaches and facets that bring about and impact health span. So uh, do not think of this as only what can be done with in, in a, a laboratory uh, or done um, in uh, in in a, a physical sense or with devices, all facets of those things that will have an impact on health are in the toolkit. So just keep that in mind. And another point on that: um, all new fields are emerging. Um, we have a good friend, Dr. Graham Parker was with Wayne State University, and he's the editor-in-chief of three important journals, Stem Cells and Development, and others called uh, named Nucleic Acid. But he thought uh, up a new journal from uh, Marianne Liebert Publishers. It's called uh, Gene X Environment. I think he calls it Gene by Environment. And when we understand the epigenetic issues of, and the influence environment has on genetics it is profound and now we have a journal focused just on that single subject i'm sure that it will be all over uh and every publisher will will have one it shows the enormity of the issues and challenges at the same time we have the tool coming available of artificial intelligence if it can figure out a common language to be able to uh to bring all of the science and medicine together, uh, we don't know uh, what progress it can be made. I would submit it would be huge. Yeah, I, Bill, I really appreciate how you kind of brought us back to all the social determinants of health, the zip code, mm -hmm. your, you, you know, what you eat, what you do, your lifestyle, your attitude. I mean, the evidence is there, just being involved in some religious socio uh, social activity, you'll live longer. I mean, no duh you know if you live alone and you don't ever get out of the house and you don't have any you know pets or you know these sort of things you know you, you want to be de de if you're depressed and you want to feel better go to a greenhouse and all of a sudden with all those plants your mood changes so all those things are part of your health you know so uh as well as the the molecular or the stem cells so um i really appreciate you kind of bringing that back under the whole umbrella of the conversation yeah, and it, where where will we go in the future? As as uh, Bernie uh, stated, you know, we we don't know what new 
technologies will emerge because discoveries are made every day. So this is very exciting because it's a matter of looking around the corner and seeing what will happen next, what will emerge, what will someone think of that revolutionizes a, a different approach to uh, or pathway for re resolving a condition or a disease. And uh, this is, uh, or something that helps improve the environment that improves our health. So you know, I feel there's, like there's so much like, to it. Yeah. It's like we're in the best of times and the worst of times, yeah. right? Um, world falls apart, yet we have these wonderful technologies uh, and the way to communicate them um, around the world. One of the things that um, advocates can do, and uh, the proof of the taste is in the pudding. When you look at the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine as an advocacy model, and I mentioned my colleague, our colleague, uh, Melissa King, uh, that was an initiative founded by a fellow, Robert Klein in California, who was had a, a family member with diabetes and another with Alzheimer's. And he realized that in a field of stem cells under, under siege at the time, that the state of California had the institutions and the potential resource to fund this research in a way that no other state did. And he organized with others a grand campaign that was called Prop 71 and created a, really a remarkable, uh, a unique state institute for regenerative medicine, the Stem Cell Agency, uh, California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, $3 billion, and $6 billion if you count the taxpayer's bond interest and then all the other philanthropy that came in that built glorious buildings and laboratories all across the state at universities, right? And then when that money was running low, I was very proud to be on the board of Prop 14, and Melissa King uh, was the uh, head of the campaign uh, field operations another $5.5 billion of state money just in, uh, allocated in uh, 2020. So think about that, how remarkable that is, that that was driven at the grassroots level. This is the type of initiative that needs to take place because it involved public education. Education is important. Look at all the disinformation about public health that's been coming out. The barbarians at the gate, right? Uh, it's 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 frightening. Uh, so uh, people like Bill, who goes out and educates every day about this, and empowering patients to have a megaphone, that so their voices are the resources are there. So how can we not do it? But here's the thing: I wanted to mention the the, the shock to me as a layperson was the ultimate backstage pass. It doesn't mean I'm a great scientist. I learned from the experts that taught it to me. But I kind of thought when this stem cell revolution started and I got involved in 2003, that five or six years, we're gonna start seeing some real impact in human beings, maybe some cures. I've been at this 20 years. Now's the time when things are gonna, are moving much, much faster. But it took that long, long runway. It realized the challenge of the science, which is beyond comprehension to a layperson. I'm telling you, the science is complex. And these scientists are brilliant. Even though they might not be great debating people on TV, 
they are doing some really hard work. Of course, many scientists are tremendously good at that and being facetious. But you get the point. It, it, it's, not, it's more than just the scientists asking and trying to get grant money from the NIH. That ain't the answer. It's to really deliver the goods. And and I can add to that 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 sometimes it's the the, the real the voices that, that people can identify. One of the great things that, that Bernie did was to enlist the the help of uh, Christopher Reeves and uh, a very very famous and and uh, well known speech that he gave uh, at the Academy Awards, but also he gave uh, a very private speech to the American public, or the world public for that matter, um, regarding uh, how we should move forward with uh, regenerative medicine and uh, stem cell research. But these kinds of voices is what it will also help, will help to get this message out and to get people's attention. And uh, there have been heroes in disease and wellness uh, throughout the years, but uh, Christopher Reeves was was is, was quite notable in in that effort. And to add to that point, mentioning Christopher Reeves and of course his wife, mm -hmm. wife Dana Reeves, um, mm -hmm. the first major initiative after the, the court case that I had filed that uh, endeared myself to the scientists. Uh, was we found out that the United Nations was trying to uh, create, uh, pass a world treaty against uh, therapeutic cloning, SCNT, which was thought to be a major important advancement in, uh, in stem cell research. A world treaty, it was, in this case, it was backed by the uh, social conservatives and the Bush administration. Um, and, uh, and I don't view things in the group as a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a human issue, but that was the fact. Right. And it was also the Vatican was very opposed to this. And that was the advocacy issue in the UN that was being steamrolled through to ban this by world tree, morally condemn it. So uh, uh, through my work and others, we built a counter movement in the United Nations, lobbying the United Nations, working with scientists. So my group that was called the Genetics Policy Institute then organized the science conference for the United Nations that, um, that presented the science uh, of this and uh, fighting so this treaty would not uh, pass. For that conference, I would organize the conference in the Dag Hammarskjöld Auditorium for the scientists to present this to the UN, but I wanted a patient's voice. And at that time, I had made contact with Christopher Reeve, and I was, I invited myself, and he very graciously let me into his home in New Bedford, New York. I flew up for the day from Florida, and we recorded a statement from Christopher Reeve. This was six months before he died, and it was an incredibly beautiful statement basically saying the time is now and there's a moral purpose to, to using this research. And it became a quite well-known short video that's been played over and over again. And when I was sitting across the sofa, a sofa from him, and at that point I was 18 months into uh, doing this work, I said, this man understands what I'm doing. 
uh, and uh, I was so moved that he would take someone as new as I was to the field and put himself out there. Uh, I will never forget it. So that inspiration, uh, I, it was one of the uh, sparks that ignite, ignited this whole prairie fire of science and achievement that we have today at the, at the cusp of healing some of the, the most horrendous diseases. That's a great, uh, a great share. So we're coming, we're coming towards, uh, I guess we got about six, six some minutes. Is there any sort of thing that you, Bill or Bernie feel that needs to be shared today, not tomorrow, today? Well, I, I'll start with saying that I think anyone who's involved with some kind of organization that is dealing with the, the, uh, the human element of, uh, of, of life, survival, uh, health, and, uh, and, and longevity should uh, come to the uh, Healthspan Action Coalition website and uh, go to the uh, the page uh, where it says uh, contact and uh, and Healthspan is Healthspan Action one word dot org healthspanaction.org org and. Uh, and uh, simply uh, fill out the uh, the information there and their message, and uh, and contact us because we are very interested in in bringing as many stakeholders and those interested in in helping uh, move this this movement uh, in the direction that will. Uh, reach the world. And I'll add, if you want to sign uh, the Dublin Longevity Declaration online, mm -hmm. DublinLongevityDeclaration.com, uh, do so. You don't have to be some lofty scientist. If you're not, it doesn't matter. It's a, a read the declaration. Of course, if you have any uh, questions about it, you can certainly email the authors or contact uh, Bill or I through the healthspanaction.org website. It's a meritorious statement. It's a declaration. It's a, to, my, to my mind, it's a, uh, a call to action. Uh, by all means, uh, educate yourselves. Uh, you know, it's more than taking a vitamin C tablet in the morning. Stay and wish everyone will stay healthy and understand that they have a stake in this uh, in a big way. And uh, organizations and individuals can empower themselves, empower themselves by banding together in coalitions. And if you don't feel your voice is heard in the coalition, speak louder, because it's a bottom-up world that will move the politics and move the regulations and, uh, in a surprising way. If all you have to do is take action, and that's what uh, Bill and I are activists. That is great. Um... I really appreciate the two of you coming on today. 
and uh, just sharing more about stem cell research, everything that's that's coming on, the excitement, patient advocacy, the involvement, the necessary, all the research that's gone on, everything of your efforts and all that's to come and, and how our audience can get involved. It's been amazing. Well, thank you, Michael. We enjoyed it. Thank you, Mike. I'll speak for myself. I think Bill did too. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's about that time. Friends, it has been a great journey today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Follow us for more on Planetary Health First, Mars Next. Until next time, peace be with you.